But yeah, good to have you here this morning. I have the privilege of uh, teaching this morning. We're going through Titus, as you know, if you've been part of what we've been doing here. Um, Clay gave us a great start the last two Sundays, and, and now you're going to see a, a litany of boundless leaders coming week after week teaching. I'm first up to bat here for this week and next, and then we have others coming uh, after me and Clay closing things out at the end. So really looking forward to doing that today. Uh, for, for announcements, um, wow, I've been really been enjoying the, the Thursday Boundlesses, our fellowship events we've been having. What a great time at the Farrells. Um, boy, if you haven't yet, we'll go thank uh, Pastor Farrell and Tracy. Um, well, you talk about a lineup of desserts. That is like a Rich Brown, like dream come true, a buffet of desserts, right? Uh, I sampled many different things um, and uh, probably should have, yeah, probably shouldn't have sampled as many as I did, and, uh, but I was wanting, wanting to do more. But uh, yeah, it was a great time, great time, just fellowship, meet some new faces. So thanks for joining in on that. This uh, upcoming Thursday, coming this week, uh, we'll be meeting at Timberlake Christian School. We call that TCS, uh, right down the road here. Um, that'll be at 7 p.m. And uh, that will be just basically, if it's daylight today, it'll certainly be inside. I suppose we may do things outside if it's nice out. Uh, but we have that option being there. They have a great gymnasium. Um, I would love to see what I call battle ball. Uh, what's, the, what's the real term for that? Dodgeball, dodgeball, yes. But uh, we'll see how things go, but there could be a volleyball net, we could play some basketball, whatever, whatever we might, might do. There's some group activities. So uh, looking forward to that this Thursday. We'll also be sending out a, a June calendar for all the Thursdays. We've been kind of slipping the emails out like the night before. And, uh, you know, it just keep you guys in suspense. But we know the schedule, so we may as well give you uh, some things at least a, a month at a time. So we'll give you a June calendar here uh, probably today or tomorrow or something so you know what's going on each, uh, each week. Kind of glad there's not a swim party this week. So those begin uh, the following week. We'll start our swim parties uh, every other week here uh, coming up. All right, that's all I have as far as announcements. Okay, there is one more. So we need two people. Not quite the detail there. Okay, so 10 and 10.30. Okay, and that is, uh, that's down in the basement, right? This is infant, and to toddlers would be in the basement over there. Who could, and that's a both are ladies, right? Who, who could do that at 10 o'clock? Is there a volunteer, someone that could do that here, a lady? In case uh, uh, Mary's going to do that, and that's uh, 10 o'clock, right? 10 o'clock. And then we need a 10.30 during the uh, second service, okay? And that's over where? It says either of our nurseries. Either of our nurseries, okay. Okay. Is there another lady that could do that? willing to do that this morning. I know this is really on the spot. And uh, anyone else? Anyone? Okay, right over here. So why don't you see, uh, could they see? Okay, all right. 
Okay, so Sophia and 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 uh, would you know where to go or? Uh, okay, so Bethany, if you could, yeah, if you could help. Thank you so much for volunteering like that, and thank you for the opportunity to serve. Let's open up a word of prayer, and we'll get right into Titus. Okay, so let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to open your word. It is a privilege. We get to hear from you today. Certainly enjoy the fellowship and hearing from each other, but uh, Lord, we want a, a word from you. Thank you for our pastors that faithfully teach it and bring it each week. And uh, we pray uh, that we be faithful to the text this morning and that we be faithful to listen and apply what we have to hear. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, if you're not already, turn over to the book of Titus. We are going to be looking at verses um, <clears throat> 5 through 9 of, of chapter 1 uh, today. And... Uh, yeah, why don't we pass out the handout? That might be helpful. We'll give that, let me give you a few more there. And uh, start working that around. And uh, yeah, Isaac, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, we'll send that around. While that's going around, why don't we read Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. And, um, and we'll see where to go from there. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So here we are, uh, starting uh, where Clay left off last week. If you look at the page in front of you, when you get that, you'll see an outline of uh, the passage um, that's uh, presented there. It's going to be, a, like we said, a two-week uh, uh, series here in this per uh, particular uh, passage. We'll be looking at Paul's purpose statement uh, today as, as well as some of the qualifications of the elders. Um, and then next week we'll be continuing with the qualifications of, of elders and the tasks for the elders. Okay. So... Um, here we're going to be looking at this point in the letter uh, of Paul, Paul's writing to uh, Titus is the importance of God's qualifications for leadership. The importance of God's qualifications for leadership, okay? So, um, question for you. Uh, I've been working in corporate America for a while now. 1985? was my entry-level position as an engineer. Uh, it goes back a little ways, yes. Uh, I've, been, I've been at it for a little while. Uh, and uh, as an engineer in corporate America, you know, I've seen a lot of managers come and go. I, I've lost track of how many managers I've had over the years that um, uh, have tootled me and taken me along and a person to report to, but if you were, if a company is to hire a leader, whether you've been a part of corporate America or not, let's say a corporate executive officer, what we know as the CEO, what would a company be looking for? 
what kind of attributes, what kind of qualities, what kind of experience, right? And I've seen a number of CEOs come and go in the companies I've worked for. And I think it's probably logical, things you'd look for, right? A track record of success, ability to achieve results. I mean, if you're in a company, it's good to make a profit. That doesn't always happen. In fact, sometimes your stock price goes up exponentially and you have, you've never made a profit. Uh, but th that eventually comes to catch you. You have to be able to grow. You have to be able to make money. You have to be able to pay your bills. So uh, a, a leader needs to lead in that particular way. You might want someone with, with an engaging personality, depending on the business. You might want someone with a savvy marketing style. You know, you'll think of a person like Elon Musk, and he has a savvy style about him, doesn't he? And he does some pretty profound things, and he's quite a personality. Uh, I don't follow him on Twitter, but I understand there's quite a, a number of bizarre things he might say from time to time. And uh, for his company, that's played well for him. If anything happens to Elon Musk, well, Tef uh, Tesla might not be doing very well for a little while, because it's very personality-based in many, many regards. So they're influential in many ways. Now for a business world, these kind of qualities make sense, right? You need to run a business well. If it's a Christian business, I think you would add some things to that, but we're thinking of in a secular way, yes, you need these kind of things. But there is a temptation in the church to see what's successful there in the business world or under other enterprises and say, hey, that might work pretty good in the church. I mean, if they're filling the seats at the stockholder meetings, well, why not, why not try to fill the seats here in the church? And if they're always meeting their, their bottom line, they're always in the black and not in the red, well, maybe we'll get someone that can really bring in the money into our church, and they'll start borrowing things from the world that is fine, perhaps, out there. And yet we see from Titus here, in a parallel passage, 1 Timothy 3, a much different set of criteria for the leaders of God's church. And that's why it's so important. Boy, when we go expositionally through a book, isn't it great to go now camp out here at the qualifications of leaders? It may be very tempting in some venues just to kind of skip over these things. Well, we have good leaders. We don't need to read this. We don't need to study this in detail. And yet going verse by verse, we're forced to, and here we are looking here joyfully at what God has to say about leadership. And that's where Paul takes us now in the letter when he addresses Titus with his purpose statement. So looking at the outline of the message there, we're going to jump into Paul's purpose statement for Titus. Look at verse 5 again there and the first part of the verse. This is why I left you in Crete. A purpose statement. Isn't it great to have direction? When there's not direction, there's confusion. This is why I left you here in Crete. We saw last week that Titus was a dear disciple, identifies a dear disciple and co-worker of Paul's. And it's clear here they're involved in ministry together to these Cretans. And for whatever reason, Paul has separated from him, left him here. Titus has his delegated authority from the apostle Paul himself, leaving him there to continue the ministry to the Cretan believers. And Paul wastes no time. This is my purpose. After saying some profound things in the first few verses, this is why he kept Titus there. And what did, what did he say? Look at the last part of uh, verse 5. So that you might put what remain into order 
and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Let's look at that first part. Put what remained into order. You go back to the Greek, um, the original meaning of this word, and part of that word is the word ortho. Ortho. Now, we're not talking about pesticides, those kind of things, if you, if you get into those kind of chemicals. Uh, we're talking about ortho, meaning to straighten, to straighten out. Who's had braces? Who's been a tinsel teeth guy besides myself, all right? Before they have those nice smile, whatever club stuff they got now uh, that were transparent. Mine were all bright silver in all its glory, right? And uh, railroad tracks, right? Across here, my senior year of high school of all times. Um, yeah, I mean, to straighten, you straighten teeth, an orthodontist, right? Or an orthopedic type of person, you straighten a bent bone or something that should be straightened out. And that's what's being said here. There are things that need to be straightened out, things that need to be put into order, some kinds of unfinished business that required attention and in some way need to be brought to completion. Now, in that statement alone, we're not specifically told what needed to be straightened out, what needed to be ordered and brought to completion. But, you know, in the, in, in the context here, um, things were not right, as you look at the context, until these believers gathered in local churches with godly leaders. And we see that where he says next to appoint elders in every town, right? The believers in Crete were apparently gathering, but there were critical pieces that were missing. And things would be on the right track and in order when local churches were properly established. You know, isn't that the primary goal of missionary work? When you look at missionary work, there's many things that can be done in the mission field, whether that's in our community or in this country or beyond our borders around the world. The, the primary task the primary fundamental action that should be taking place in fulfillment of the Great Commission is planting local churches. And this is really what's taking place here. They're fulfilling this command to plant and to, and to establish a, and define a proper local church. And that would be the establishment of godly leaders. And that leads us to this second task here, uh, to appoint elders in every town. Turn over to Acts chapter 14. When we talk about uh, the mission field, we're going, we're going now to Paul's first missionary journey. And we want to see a pattern here that he is continuing now on the island of Crete in the proper establishment, putting things properly in order here on the island of Crete with these believers. And you see a pattern here that is established and shown in Acts and you see that propagating over here to Crete as well. If you look there at Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23, look what it says. Now, see if you can point, see the three-part pattern taking place. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, into Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now if you look there, you'll see a pattern that's taking place. The first step of this pattern is conversion. They shared the gospel, and there was a response to the gospel. And there were now many disciples, right? And then you see strengthening, returning, 
discipling, mentoring. And then what did they do? In verse 23, they appointed elders for them in every church. They established, they structured what was of significant and primary importance for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Remember, the Great Commission is not just sharing the gospel, obviously an integral part of it, but it's making disciples. And God has shown us, as, as Clay has carefully shown us in Ephesians that we looked at through the school year here, is that the Great Commission is fulfilled primarily through the work of the local church. Elders are those, the pastors, teachers. They teach and instruct, and what do they do? They, 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 they equip the saints for the work of the ministry. They disciple them, and they go out and do more discipleship, and they go out and do evangelism. They go out and do missionary work. But you always see it in the scriptures around the structure of a local body of believers. Discipleship is incomplete without the primacy of the local church involved. This is something different for me, really, when I was your age, working on a college campus, newly saved, and if, you know, the Great Commission was sharing the gospel and then discipling a young believer, whether he was part of church or not. And there was a real important element I was learning at the time is that, wow, such an integral part of their discipleship, a necessary part, is them aligning themselves with a local body of believers where they can fulfill God's will for the life and really the commands we see throughout the New Testament, always with the context of a New Testament local church. So appointing elders was important here. Um, you see there he was to do it in every town, in every town. Um, we don't know how many towns there were in Crete, if I'm not a reader of Greek poetry in that, but Homer's Iliad in 630 B.C., he poetically called Crete the island of 100 cities. And this is in 630 BC, okay? So, uh, you know, this is hyperbole he was uh, talking about, but obviously there was more than one city at that time when he's talking about the, the island of Crete. You know, was there 10 cities, 15 cities, perhaps 20, 50? But there's multiple cities where, and the, and the idea being here is that there's a local church in each city and Titus's task is now to appoint elders in each of those cities. Elders. Elders. Now, a few years ago, the word elder might have been a little strange to our congregation, but we've been talking about it quite a bit in our language here at Timberlake Baptist. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a good Bible term. What is this elder? Who are these elders? So let's talk about that briefly. There were elders in Old Testament Israel. Okay. They were heads or leaders of tribes, of families. It's really the Jewish term for leadership. They were wise, experienced men who led various communities of Israel. And now here in the New Testament, an elder is the most common New Testament name, not the only one, but the most common one that identifies the primary leaders of a local church, all of whom operate under the headship of Christ. Okay, they're not human leaders alone, but under the headship of Christ. An elder literally means an older man. It is a mature man. It does not mean elderly, where you have to wheel them in in a wheelchair kind of thing, right? Uh, the New Testament really doesn't specify an age. 
But as we will be reviewing the qualifications of an elder, you can see, well, this is not a junior hire <laughs> who, who has this level of spiritual maturity. There's obviously some time needed for a believer to develop these traits in their life. And at the same time, it's certainly talking about someone who's spiritually mature. Notice here, Paul uses the plural, elders. Elders, appoint elders in every city, every church. This plurality defines multiple elders, not just a solo elder, not just a solo pastor. And if you've been part of this fellowship in this last year, it was in December, we passed the new, we, we voted on as a congregation a proposed, a number of constitutional changes uh, proposed by our, 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 our pastors or elders here. That was presented uh, before the church and approved, and a lot of that is now the language of which says this is what an elder is, and there will be multiple elders. In the history of Timberlake, there's many times been multiple pastors in the church, but now we want to formally recognize that. And truly, you know, I look at that and I just, you know, I was very encouraged just how our, our church is always looking for ways to be more biblical. We've always been biblical in our pastoring and everything here, but just there's, there's a language and there's a way of doing things here that I think is in the spirit of what Paul and the scriptures are, are defining for the roles of elders and how they lead and manage and oversee and shepherd the body. And what's really encouraging for me is it's, it's, it's always a good time to be more accurate and more specific and more clear in those areas. And our church went that route of doing that and our, our church heartily approved uh, the new constitution. By the way, Pastor Farrell will be going over uh, many elder topics, uh, uh, looking at the subject of eldering in some of our evening services this summer. So if you want to learn more about that, he'll be talking specifically in some areas of the elders, and uh, come to our evening services, and you'll, you'll enjoy that. So um, eldering, eldering. I said it's the most common title for a New Testament uh, leader of a local church, but it's not the only one. Turn over to 1 Peter 5, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. This is one of those passages that kind of uh, it, it, it identifies uh, all the responsibilities and, by implication, the titles that are um, identified in the New Testament for a, a church leader, a local church leader. And it's all wrapped up in this passage, and uh, we'll look at a few of those together here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. And Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crowd, crown of glory. So you'll you see here there's three descriptive terms that identify the function of a church leader. You see the first one there, the one we're talking about, is elders. I exhort the elders there in verse 1. That's the primary title for the leaders and those in authority of the local church. And we, we spoke about that already. 
The second one there you see in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. This is talking about the pastoring, shepherding role of the elder or the leader, God's leader in a church. And these are striking imagery, right? We see this in the New Testament of God's people being his sheep, God being the great shepherd of their souls, and elders or pastors being these under-shepherds, caring for the local body of believers in God's stead, under his authority. God is the great shepherd. Elders have been given the authority to shepherd down at this level for Christ and under his authority. So what do shepherds do? Well, they, they guide the sheep, they protect the sheep, they feed the sheep, they lead the sheep. Important work. I am encouraged, as I know many of you are as well, at the shepherding ministry of our pastors here at Timberlake. We have much to be thankful for. Uh, perhaps there's times we take that for granted, but I, I'm very fortunate. I'm privileged to get a bird's eye view many, many times during the week where I'm interfacing with the pastors. I have the opportunity to meet with the elders each week as they gather, so I've, they've been very gracious to invite me to be, participate in that when they, when they take time to get together and prayerfully consider how to shepherd us well. And they cover many things in those meetings, and the things that are covered in that meeting go well beyond that time, but are just carried out throughout the week in their life, leading and feeding and protecting. Just everything is about the protection of God's people, the care and um, the responsibility that's there. Very encouraging to see the pastoring, shepherding ministry of our, of our leaders here. And the third thing you see there um, over in uh, verse, at the end of verse 2 is exercising oversight. In other words, being what the Bible calls an overseer, and that word is used in our Titus passage when we jump back there. But this describes how the elder is to care and look after uh, the body. Um, it's to be able to look upon, to inspect, to look after, to care for. Um, so they're overseeing various responsibilities in the, in the church. They, they got to make sure we're in financial good order. Uh, they have to make sure our, 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 our widows are cared for and, 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 and physical needs, those who can't care for themselves. They look over those who are entangled in sin and need to be uh, reproved or rebuked or encouraged or counseled or taught. Identify false teaching. And you know, the, every elder or overseer can't accomplish every one of those tasks. So we have deacons who have very similar qualifications in First Timothy 3, very similar qualifications to an elder. And you have other ministry uh, individuals in the church, many that are really under the oversight of the elder. So the elder is not expected to do every task, but they oversee it to make sure it's done well, it's done properly. That's their responsibility, okay? So this is what elders do, um, or how they're titled in various uh, ways. Uh, we see elder, we see uh, shepherd or pastor, and um, we see overseer. So let's jump over to the qualifications of the elders we're, as we're going through um, the outline here of the message and just verse by verse what, 
um, what is said here. So um, in verses 6 through 8, we see the qualifications of elders. And these are the requirements that Scripture places on those who will lead the church. And we'll start where the Scriptures start here, what I call the umbrella qualification, being above reproach. Look there at verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or subordination. Verse 7, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. When I say, when I say umbrella uh, qualification, I'm talking about an overarching requirement, okay? An overarching responsibility, an overarching uh, character trait. It's probably better said that way. And it's stated twice here in the course of two verses. It, really emphasizing its importance. And Paul adds, they must be above reproach. It's, it's, it's an absolute necessity. There's no wiggle room here. What does above reproach mean? Well, it means to be blameless. Literally, that which cannot be called to account. You can use words like unchargeable, without indictment without accusation, to be without fault. Wow, those are some pretty heavy descriptive terms of this overarching requirement, this character requirement of an elder. It does not equate to perfection, we would realize that, but it certainly points to a consistent walk of godliness. By the way, the same word is used in 1 Timothy 3.10, specifying the same requirement of a deacon. They must also be above reproach. What are we saying here? There's no charge that sticks to this person. Uh, my wife is a great cook, and I love how the way she cooks eggs. And every once in a while she says, I need a new pan. This one's getting old, and we go for those good old Teflon ones. And if you've done one of those before, a little bit of butter in there, you don't even need it with Teflon. And that egg just kind of slides around. If you're not careful and you're kind of doing the fun thing there, you might lose your egg, right? Because it slides right away. It doesn't stick, okay? Um, the accusation doesn't stick. It glides away. There is no accusation with credibility. You might think back, as we're talking about this, to Daniel. In Daniel chapter 6 that we covered not too long ago, verses 4 and 5, you know, under Darius, there were uh, many jealous other high officials that saw uh, Daniel's rise to prominence, which he fully deserved under the authority of a, of a secular wicked king. And Daniel, uh, well, these, these other high officials wanted to undo Daniel. There in verse 4, it says, the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But what does it say? But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5 says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That is blamelessness. That's above reproach. And that is God's um, unequivocal, uh, mandatory requirement of an elder, of God's leaders in the church. They must be 
above reproach. Well, why above reproach? Well, look there um, in verse 7, okay, of, of, of Titus uh, 1 here. Verse 7, look what it says here. Um, For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Why must the elder be above reproach? Because he is God's steward. An overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. A steward, it's a manager. It's a caretaker of someone else's property. Superintendent, charged with overseeing it for its good, right? God's steward is therefore, and in your translation may say that, is God's household manager. An overseer to care for God's household. In other words, a pastor of a church, that those are not his people. We also say, well, you know, you know, how's your church doing, pastor, when we meet somebody? What's going on in your church? And I think a good biblical pastor sometimes cringes a little bit when they hear that, say, well, <laughs> yes, I know what you're saying, but this is God's church. It's his. I'm the steward of it, okay? A steward, like a, um, God is the owner, the house is God's people, and elders are called to care for this house, God's people. It's just like in an, an, an earthly owner of a property or an enterprise, they would not place an unqualified person to, you know, to conduct and care for the affairs of that enterprise. And here, only God, God only permits qualified elders above reproach to care for his children. It's a trustworthy, it's a, it's a solemn trust, a responsibility that church leaders will give an account to God for. You can look at Hebrews 13, 17 sometimes. You want to look at that more carefully, but they will give an account. So these are God's people. These are blood-bought people by the blood of, blood of Christ, and God cares very much about their care. And therefore, an elder must be above reproach. Also, uh, to be above reproach, would certainly indicate that we need proper models, proper examples in the local church. Again, looking there at verse, uh, chapter 2, this time in verse 7, he tells Titus, um, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. You know, certainly one of the primary ministries of the elders, to be a pastor teacher, to be uh, sharing the word of God, teaching the word of God. We'll be looking at that in the qualifications next week. We'll be able to handle the word properly. But it is much more than verbal instruction. It's life instruction. It's exampleship. It's being a pattern for the believers. And man, someone who's above reproach, that is the pattern to follow. Those are the people you want to go after and follow. And not all people above reproach are necessarily pastors. We're all called to be above reproach. <laughs> Everybody. It's just that an elder must be above reproach. There's no learning curve. If you're an elder, you must be above reproach. The rest of us should be going up that learning curve and, and, and fight to be there ourselves in our own Christian walk. Do you find yourself looking at the pattern of your pastors? It's like, that's what I want to be like. I want that kind of heart. Uh, I want to pray like they pray. Um, 
I want to care for people like they do. I want to, I know a number of you have uh, looked at this as well, just like, I want to know the scriptures like they do. And, and not just understand it academically. I want to, I want to, I want to live and breathe it and make it part of my life and, and enjoy it and saturate it and, and, and have it change me like I see it changing them. We should look at our pastors and say, that's what I want to be like. And if an elder is not above reproach, they're not worth following. They must, they must be above reproach. This is non-negotiable. Our, 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 our Christian community at large in this U.S. is in just desperate. Um, in this area, has been very remiss in following this closely. Celebrity pastors can just sometimes just do what they want at will. Um, and oftentimes are involved in things that is not expected of anyone who would call themselves a Christian, let alone a, believer of, uh, a leader of a church. Above reproach is absolutely necessary. And it gives us the, the example, the model to follow that we just, we just want to be. I, I want to be like Clay. I want to be like Pastor Farrell. I want to be like Pastor Brody and Pastor Jeff and the others, others that are here. But they must be above reproach to be followable as a leader of God's flock. Okay? So put yourself in Titus' shoes. Or put yourself in his tunic, if you want to do that. Put yourself in his tunic, all right? I'm supposed to appoint people to be elders across the various cities, across this 150-mile island, 35, 7 miles wide, mountainous. I'm supposed to go identify someone who is above reproach. How do I do that? Do I go to indeed.com? Above reproach, right? Beep, 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 beep. Oh, there's three. <laughs> Only three? I got 20 churches. <laughs> what am I going to do? How do I, how do I identify these people above reproach? Well, Paul gives the answer. If you look at the remainder of the passage here, verses 5 through 9, he lists out the observable character qualities and the necessary skills in the word that are required to be an elder or to be above reproach. And you'll see three groupings there. There's family character, how he manages his home. We're going to talk about that in the latter part of verse 6. And then next week we'll be looking at the personal character. There's must-not qualifications and must have qualifications. This is how you identify someone above reproach, okay? So let's go to family character. Let's go there at the end of verse 6. And, um, yeah, we'll get as far as we can here. I don't, how long do we have, Clay? Till when? About now? Yeah, I am. Okay. Okay, people are, let's, uh, We'll kind of, we'll, we'll wrap most of this in the next week with all the qualifications, but let me kind of go briefly over some of these um, areas there, because I got 10-10 here. Boy, time flies when you're having fun. This is great. Um, family character. You see, you see home life qualifications, verse uh, 6b. The husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Right at the top of the list you see qualifications for family life, immediately after above reproach, right? Marital faithfulness. You see here, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. What does that mean? Does that mean 
no polygamy? Well, certainly it would mean that. Um, that's not permitted in Scripture. Is it required that an elder be married? I don't think so. That doesn't make sense as the focus of the requirement, as we will see. And, of course, Paul encouraged believers to singleness. I don't think he was encouraging them away from church leadership when he did that. And, of course, Paul was single himself. I don't think he disqualified himself, even as an apostle, to be an elder. You can be married and only to one wife, but still not meet this requirement. So it's not just the status kind of thing. The husband of one wife really means literally a one-woman man. A one-woman man. Literally, you could say it differently, a man devoted to the woman who is his wife. The emphasis here is his faithfulness to his wife. His affections are directed to her alone. So for those who are married, there must not be any other woman to whom he relates emotionally and physically. He's devoted to his life. He practices sexual purity. There is marital fidelity. It's one woman and one wife whom he is devoted to. Singular loyalty, singular love, singular devotion his one and only bride. So a man dabbling in pornography is not practicing being a one-woman man. A man flirtatious with other women that are not his wife is not practicing being a one-woman man. A man that's not consistently striving to be the servant leader of his wife, as we see in Ephesians 5, is not practicing being a one-woman man. So important, a proper married life to the wife. With that, we're going to bring our time to a close. We'll continue on with the next um, uh, qualification there with children. And then we got a whole list of other qualifications there that will be exciting to look into. Uh, as part of the things uh, to look at on here, there's other uh, areas of study on the sheet there that you can look at through the week that might help you um, be thinking about some of these things yourself. But I trust next week, as we go through those other qualifications, uh, it'll be an encouragement to you to not only be thinking about how to pray for your pastors, their home life, and their living this high calling of being above reproach, but that you'd be thinking yourself how I can grow in these areas. Because we're all called to be like Christ, which would be above reproach. So with that, we close, and uh, let's just close in a word of prayer, and we'll let you go for the rest of the day. Father, uh, thank you for the word. Thank you for its clarity and just its truthfulness to us, Lord. Thank you for encouraging our hearts with it. Help us, Lord, uh, through the rest of the day. Help Pastor Pharaoh in the following service here. And um, may it be profitable and good. May we enjoy uh, the holiday tomorrow if we have. And we certainly remember and thank you for those who gave uh, their life for our country. And we give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.